Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by competitive endurance athlete and endurance coach Ian Hosick. Ian and I had a great conversation about how he programs for his athletes and for himself, specifically utilizing heart rate zone training. We also did talk about running technique, what elements are important when we're looking at running technique, as well as getting into a bit about nutrition and mindset for the endurance athlete. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you will find this information highly valuable. So let's tune in. Ian, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Awesome. I'm excited to talk to you both from the athlete perspective that you are, as well as the coaching aspect, because both bring such a different element to an individual. Um, I know myself, an athlete and a coach, it's like I fight that I want to push through hard and push through the pain, but then the coach side of me is like, no, you can't do that. So I'm excited to see, to kind of talk to you about that aspect as well as we dive into what you do. Um, But first and foremost, let's talk about how you became both this endurance athlete that you are as well as the endurance coach that you are? Yeah. um, Started running recreationally a little bit in 2011. Um, I grew up playing ball sports, mostly soccer, hockey, tennis, um, things like that, but no cross country or track uh, as you'll see in these higher level endurance athletes, especially um, later in life. And I was in college and just kind of went out on the trails and I really enjoyed it. Um, was also rock climbing a fair amount at the time and a friend mentioned a local mud run and it was kind of a combination of rock climbing and running I was like okay that sounds fun Um, went and competed in the race is my first ever obstacle course race or mud run and I placed second and it kind of lit a fire in me I really really enjoyed it and I was also pretty good at it So from there, I started training some more with the intention of winning that same local race uh, in six months from that time, and then managed to win that. Took a few years off and then got back into it in 2014, um, where I started competing more in uh, the higher level obstacle course races like Spartan and Tough Mudder. And then where along the lines did you decide to look and go into the coaching aspect of it? I worked for Hammer Nutrition, which is a sports nutrition company for a year and was, I had always been passionate about sports and athletics. So working there, I kind of started dipping my toes in consultative work um, where people would come in with questions about sports nutrition or how do you fuel during a long race. Um, So that kind of started the ball rolling. And then I got a job at Nike and worked for Nike for five years. Um, At Nike, I was able to interact with some of like the best sports physiologists on the planet. Uh, some really, really smart biomechanists, one of them who I married, actually. <laughs> and uh, I started learning lear- learning more and more about sports physiology, um, biomechanics, and eventually got to the point where I was having conversations with high-level coaches, and I knew more than them, um, or the conversation was fairly revealing. And I was like, oh, at this point, maybe I should start coaching or see if I enjoy it. Um, picked up a few athletes. And I was pretty good at it and then um, really enjoyed it and became a full-time coach in 2017. Awesome. Let's go to the biomechanical side of things first. Mm -hmm. Um, You hear 
we hear all this stuff about how running technique matters or running technique doesn't, strength matters, strength doesn't. I know you pay attention to running technique or analysis to a point. How invested are you into actually how a person is running as far as that goes? There are a few key points that I think everyone should do in order to run well. You'll hear a lot about foot strike pattern or where they're landing under their center of mass, cadence, upper body movement. The biggest things I focus on are a good lean with the hips. So your hips are in neutral, um, core slightly engaged with a slight forward lean. Running is essentially controlled falling. So you want gravity to help you as much as possible. Um, and with that being said, you want to make sure the athlete or individual is landing, their foot is landing under their center of mass. So under their center, under their hips or just slightly ahead because it's really hard to land directly under your center of mass. Um, you don't want them over striding and that's where you'll see a lot of injuries occur. And it's just a loss of efficiency. I mean, if you're over striding, you have a large braking force and that's just extra effort you have to put forth to go as fast as you want to go. Um, upper body, you want you don't want to be crossing the midline a ton. Um, some are arm swing, not over-exaggerated. And then uh, just a nice neutral spine along the way. So we, we know that a lot of people tend to overstride. What are some things that you're doing to break people of that and get that foot back underneath them when they're landing? Yeah, one of the easiest ways to do that is just to train the lean. It's really hard to overstride when you have the proper lean. So a nice drill that I like people to do is um, just stand very tall, core slightly engaged, uh, pretend a string is pulling you from the top of your head, and then slowly fall forward to the point where you're not going to fall on your face, but you catch yourself and then hold that body positioning and alignment and continue running from there. And that helps train that lean. And when you're leaning, it's nearly impossible to overstride unless you really work at it. Personally, I absolutely love that drill. I think that's so effective for training that lean in that foot. One thing that's really interesting is, and that this, you know, the controlled falling is what actually gets in that a lot of people don't recognize is that's what gives us our speed. It's not increasing that foot, foot speed. Um, you can keep that same cadence and run faster just by increasing that lean a little bit. And so it's really not any more energy output. It's just a matter of almost efficiency. Exactly. Gravity is your friend. I mean, it can help you fall forward and move forward with less effort, um, which is really nice. I mean, the less effort you put forth, the faster you can go. How much do you focus on breathing patterns with your runners? Not a whole lot. We'll do some breathing techniques, um, but the body's pretty good at letting you know where you're at in intensity and how you should be breathing as long as you're not focusing on it. If you're overthinking it, you can get into some bad habits. Um, but the breath work we do is more about utilizing all of your lung capacity. So you spoke with Taylor Cruz recently. Um, some of the breathing techniques I use, I've gotten from him as well as other sources but really breaking your lungs into those three segments, the lower, the middle, and the upper, and being able to uh, utilize your diaphragm to really get the most out of each breath. And that's ultimately, I think that's where a lot of people lack is we, for the most part, as a very stressed out society, we do very shallow breathing and forget how to actually utilize our entire lung and our diaphragm in order to actually breathe effectively. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Let's get into, I know you do a ton of your training and your programming around heart rate zones. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about that or dive into that quite a bit. What is zone training exactly? Zone training is where you'll take, there's different ideas behind it, I guess. Um, The most common is the one through five zones. Um, And it's just, that one is usually a percentage of your max heart rate. However, I utilize uh, percentages of your threshold heart rate. Um, Threshold is much more powerful because it tells you where you actually should be operating as opposed to your max heart rate. So for example, I have athletes who have max heart rates that are around 190 beats per minute and then their threshold is 173. Where I have other athletes who their max heart rate is 190 but their threshold heart rate is 182, 183. So it's really that delta between those two that can shift the zone you're training in if you were to go by the standard one through five um, based off max heart rate. So we calculate the athlete's threshold heart rate um, and then create zones based off that, targeting a few specific areas for certain physiological adaptations. I love that you explained it that way for the factor of I've always known zones to be off max heart rate, which is why for me personally, I've absolutely hated it because I'm one of those runners that I can run at a conversational pace and I'm like borderline what my max heart rate estimated is. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, this to me, like it doesn't make sense. So I love that you put, break that down into the actual threshold because everybody is a little bit different in that way. Absolutely. And heart rate is also very individual and specific. So if you go by the, the 220 minus age to get your max heart rate or estimated max heart rate, that can also be very off. Um, I have an athlete who is mid-30s and his max heart rate is 180. So that's – or I should say, let's see, I think he's like 31 and his max heart rate is 175 around there. So that, that equation falls apart pretty quickly um, when you start looking at specifically high-level athletes as well as just target points. Um, for a general population, population, it's great, but if you're trying to do sports-specific performance training, it's not a great system. Why is zone training so effective when we're looking at the endurance athletes and their progress and improvement? It's really nice because it takes everything into account for you. Uh, If you go by pace training, it really doesn't take into account fatigue or where the athlete is in a training cycle. So our body is really good at telling us how hard we should be operating at a given fatigue level. Um, And heart rate takes that into account. So if you didn't sleep the night, like if you slept four hours and then had four cups of coffee in the morning, that's obviously going to play a big factor on your heart rate. Um, It can make it slightly off the the coffee and caffeine definitely will have a higher heart rate and so will the sleep. But if you're just overall fatigued, you're going to be running slower at a specific heart rate than if you were fresh. So the higher the fitness or not fitness, the lower the fatigue level, the higher your performance will be at a given heart rate and vice versa. At what points do you suggest then your runners rest as far as if they're just overly stressed, if they're, they're hitting that threat, that zone way early, mm-hmm. you know, at a pretty slow pace, where do you shut them down? It depends on where they're at in their training cycle for one. And it also depends on how 
there are a couple factors I look at for that. Um, one of them is if they're able to get into those higher end heart rate zones. So the higher intensity, if you're doing intervals or a max effort um, session, if they're unable to get to that area, that's a big indicator that their uh, nervous system is kind of forcing them away from that because there's too much stimulus in that. Um, another one is if they're at a really slow walking pace or if they're just in a warm up at a pace they'd normally be pretty comfortable at and their heart rate skyrockets into where it's not supposed to be at that pace. Um, those are the two biggest indicators I'll look for, as well as just talking to the athlete. Communication is huge and they're gonna be the best ones to tell you how they're feeling. Uh, you can only get so much from the data. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I know nutrition plays a huge role in athletes training. You have a good nutrition background working at Hammer. How much nutrition coaching do you do in this process with them? It depends on the athlete. Some athletes have more questions than other. My focus is mostly on race nutrition and post-workout recovery. So I'll, if they have questions, we'll do a consultation. Um, most people have it fairly dialed down. Uh, there's so much marketing and so much information out there. There's also a lot of, lot of bad information, but for the most part, it's okay. Uh, and a lot of what you hear, like have a balanced diet, eat healthy, don't eat a ton of processed foods. All of those are just great building blocks and a foundation for good nutrition. Absolutely. And I think you made a great point as far as, if nothing else, that post-workout recovery aspect is probably the most important because that's what's going to get you to be able to train consistently. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And just making sure you're getting a nice balance of carbs and protein and a little bit of fat after the workout. Yeah. I know you do some work when it comes to mindset. Um, and when we're dealing with athletes, there's so many different elements we can talk about with mindset. Um, you know, it could be the bad performance, the bad training, fears, you name it. What sort of things do you work on when it comes to mindset? Uh, it depends on the athlete. Um, I've actually struggled with some mindset stuff myself over the past uh, few years, and I actually hired a coach in that regard, um, and he's been great. He's out of the UK. And we've worked a lot on really staying present during a race, um, focusing on what you can, can, you can do and what you can control. Because um, if you're focused on what other racers are doing and what's going on around you, it's great to have that input. But at the end of the day, you can only control yourself and the effort you're putting forth and making sure you're putting forth an honest effort at that time. With that being said, uh, other athletes don't have that problem. They're always really present. Um, and it's more about shaping their race strategy or finding how to really bring the most out of their fitness level. Um, so it, the, the answer is it kind of depends on the athlete because there's a lot of different ways. Um, also not taking social media into account and letting that overwhelm you. It has its perks, but for the most part, social media can be pretty toxic, especially to a high level athlete and you see what your competitors are doing. Um, so making sure you don't get swept up in that and staying focused on your goals and your training. You made a great point there with the social media aspect, because whether it's a competitive athlete looking at performance or 
just a recreational athlete who's worried about body image stuff, like social media can be such so impactful in a negative way to how we just go throughout our day and our life. Absolutely. And it, it's, I wouldn't say it's getting better, but the awareness is definitely uh, becoming more apparent now. So people are able to recognize that um, there are some really great conversations that happen there and it is a good dialogue space, but the body images is really hard. Like a lot of the fitness influencers or whatever you call them nowadays will like Photoshop their images and people don't realize also the amount of work they're taking doing to get and look like that. Like most of them probably spend more time in the gym than I do uh, just for that, that style of physique. Um, so it's being aware of kind of the other side and the background behind it is really important, but a lot of people don't get that exposure. Yeah. And you definitely made that great point too, as the, those professions, those professionals, athletes and trainers, clinic or coaches that are in the gym all day, like we non-paid athletes don't have that luxury. Like we still have to do our jobs. Yeah. Um, whether we own our own businesses or we have to do go somewhere. Yeah. Um, so we don't have that training luxury constantly. And it is something that people do have to keep in mind. Yeah. A, a full, like their job is to look like that where your job is to work 40 hours a week and do your best to get a workout in when you can. <laughs> exactly. Let's talk about your training. Um, you do are still a competitive athlete. What does your training look like? And I kind of want it more from the perspective of like, yes, you're an athlete. Yes, you're a coach. How does that mindset almost conflict or fight each other at times? It definitely is a conflict at times. Um, there are times when I know that I need to be pushing through to kind of get the extra fatigue for an upcoming race. And I just really don't want to do that. And then I have, to, I sometimes will have conversations with my wife and she's like, well, it's important. You got to go out the door and go for your workout. So thankfully she's there to kind of help push me sometimes, but it, it definitely is a struggle if I'm really tired or hungry and um, don't, it's hard to get the shoes on. Uh, other times when I'm feeling good and I'm at the end of a taper or something and I want to go for like a two hour run, and I'm not supposed to. So finding that balance and there definitely are internal conversations to help keep me on the right track. Uh, but it's a challenge. Um, and I will come at it from an athlete perspective. And then I also will switch into coach mode. And if I was talking to a, one of my own athletes, not myself, what would I say to them? And then I have to, I sometimes will actually say it out loud and then listen to myself and follow to the best of my ability. It's so hard to do though. Like I get myself caught up in same thing and Calvin workouts. And it's like, I should not be pushing through this right now. This is not a great idea. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'm, I have all, I've had all sorts of injuries in the past, so I'm pretty good at listening to my body and I know where I should be at in terms of fatigue level or if I rolled my ankle or I subluxed my shoulder, any of those things and knowing how to play it safe or I'll be okay. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge thing is learning to just knowing to listen to your body. Cause yeah, we can all push through if we want to, but as the longevity factor comes into play, how long do you want to be an athlete? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, is it worth pushing through this one workout or this, uh, you know, one training session to, if you still want to compete in another 
you know, five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that is something I work with all my athletes and I inform them all of our volume progressions are pretty slow compared to a lot of the models out there. Um, and we build over time. So their tendons, ligaments, musculature has times to it has time to adapt and get it to where it can handle that load as opposed to just smashing you in two weeks and trying to get the biggest adaptation possible. I want them to be in it for the long haul. How often now I know you work with some collegiate level athletes, so that's different, but with your, um, your OCR people or your adventure run people, how often are you, or how many times a year do you suggest they race? That's a tricky question. Um, I would say if they're looking for target races, so like an A race, I would say three to five, somewhere around there. Um, a lot of people will want to race more. That's the biggest problem I face is a mm-hmm. lot. Everyone wants to race more than they should. Um, doing fun races and not necessarily going as hard as you can, uh, I would say about 10 of those is fine. Um, using it as a training race instead of a max effort race. However, explaining that to people is really difficult. Um, Telling them I don't want you to run as hard as possible (laughs) usually gets a lot of pushback, especially in certain races. Uh, And it depends on the individual and what they're looking to get out of their training as well. Um, So yes, especially with the obstacle course racing schedule, they have a lot of races that are available now. Um, Didn't used to be the case. So now it's there is a conversation at the beginning of the year with everyone on how to set your schedule and what your goals are and how we can shift the schedule to make you get the most out of the specific races you want to perform well at. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And one thing that's nice, especially for your elites is they do have their series of races that they have to perform at or perform well at essentially. And then they can use the rest just as kind of training runs, seeing how things are going, see where they need to perfect on. And essentially, if you, for any level of athlete, I mean, if you want to do well at a certain race, you do need that proper training time and that proper taper time. And so we really can't, you know, essentially go all out at all these races several, you know, every couple of weeks apart, because it's just not, not appropriate training for us. Yeah, it's really hard to have solid training blocks and get a lot of racing in. Like the two don't go hand in hand. You can have a solid training block and then a race with a taper in between. Um, but you can't have small training block race, try and recover from the race, small ta- training block race. And just that cycle doesn't work out. You can't, if you want to stay injury free, that's what I should say. I'll um, throw that in there. If you want to stay injury free and do it right, you can't really progress training too much during heavy race periods. Speaking of injuries, just other than like making sure you don't increase volume too quickly, increase your load tempos too, too fast. What else are you doing with your athletes to decrease their risk of injury? Um, We touched on diet earlier. That's really important. Just making sure you're getting enough protein, um, carbohydrates. Those are the main two. And then all of the other nutrients as well. Um, I do believe in strength training. So I have my athletes do Olympic lifting one day a week. Um, Just helps build that added stress, uh, helps with bone growth, um, bone density, as well as getting the muscles and tendons ready for a race environment, which is usually where you'll see a lot of injuries. Yes, you can see it in training, but that's if people um, 
are overtraining or aren't getting the proper recovery they need. Um, and then just also functional movement. Um, that's a big thing. Um, being able to have your body move through space in a very purposeful way uh, is something I'm a very big proponent of. Um, I'm actually working with Taylor Cruz on a beta program he has for obstacle course racers right now. So it'll be pretty cool to see that get started soon. Just knowing what he does, that I can imagine is going to be pretty phenomenal. Absolutely. I'm excited. That's cool. I love the purposeful movement aspect of it because that's something I've really been focusing on lately, both with myself and with my athletes is like, don't just do a stretch just to do a stretch and get it done. Like, what is your purpose? What are you trying to lengthen? What joint are you trying to move? And just really paying attention to what you're doing throughout that motion and just really like focusing on, yeah, the purpose of movement. Mm -hmm. And then strength through range of motion. So having good mobility, but also having it be controlled and being strong through that full range of motion and not really have major weak points at end range of motion. Yeah. Compromising areas, I should say. Absolutely. And I think even with the strength training too, um, like one thing I've like with my own movements, I've been paying attention to is like just breaking down movements again, um, still going full speed, but just really paying attention. Like are my hips where they're supposed to be when my arms are moving and just really focusing on specific movement elements during patterns or that whole factor of moving efficiently as possible, moving as safe as possible and utilizing strength throughout that full range. Mm -hmm. And that even goes back to once you get the, those individual movements to where you want them to be, you can start integrating them into your running and that's ways to get more efficient because you have that body awareness and that power and that good range of motion. Um, you can just be more efficient and your economy can go up. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, Ian, if someone wants help with their training, if someone's looking for coaching or maybe just wants to see what you are doing as an athlete, where can people find you? Absolutely. I'm on Instagram. Um, my handle is OCR underscore Hosick. And then I'm also on Facebook, Ian Hosick. Uh, my coaching business is Hosick Performance Engineering. You can find me there at Um and if you just Google Ian Hosick, those things will come up as well. So <laughs> that's probably the easiest way is Google. <laughs> the almighty Google. <laughs> almighty Google. Awesome. Well, Ian, thank you so much for your time today. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And that concludes this week's episode of Highly Functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group, Obstacle Course Racing Athlete Health and Performance, where you can both join your OCR tribe as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.